0: Hi, my name is Jameson. Welcome to the Unexpected Experts podcast, a show where we dive into the vast spectrum of human knowledge and the ways that our experiences make us experts in unexpected ways. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to another episode of Unexpected Experts. This week, Andrea and myself have on my brother and sister-in-law. I'm so excited. Uh, so my brother and sister-in-law Nathan and Nadine De Bruin. Um, Nathan is my brother. That's the only origin story we're getting. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Uh, Nathan, Nathan has so done
1: start already. Don't even worry
0: about it. We're just hanging out and it's fun. Um, Nathan's background, I guess, is obviously like born and raised Calgarian, but he, he went to school at, uh, SAIT here in Calgary for baking and pastry arts. And he worked in the restaurant industry here in Calgary for a lot of years, um, before eventually starting at, um, Edelweiss, at Edelweiss Imports here in Calgary as well. And, uh, he's also done some schooling in business too. So. A little bit about Nathan there and then Nadine um, has I guess yeah also born and raised Calgarian um went to school initially what what a... both
2: of them holy
0: yeah right what what is it Nadine that you initially went to school for
3: um I was in school yeah I, I, I got accepted to university for for a bachelor's of French oh, at the U of C Okay. And switched to psychology very shortly after. And then... <laughs> Those are uh-huh. polar opposites. <laughs> yeah. <That's amazing. laughs> Can you tell that I was 18 and had no idea what I wanted to nice. do with my life? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I went to um, Acadia in Wolfville, Nova Scotia afterwards and got my bachelor's of music therapy.
0: Cool. Right. Sweet, sweet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Nathan and Nadine met. Uh, quite a number of years ago and got married four summers ago now I guess this summer will be four yeah yeah, yeah. um and um uh, yeah Nathan is currently director of operations at Edelweiss Imports and Nadine is working as a music therapist for AHS or with AHS or what does what um, that sorry, kind of relationship look like
3: I work for a company called JB Music Therapy. Right, and we get contracted across the city, so AHS is one of one of the places that we end up.
0: Gotcha. Nice. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, um, I'm really excited that you guys are on, and I think we're gonna have fun. And uh, yeah, welcome to Unexpected Experts, you guys. <laughs>
2: Thanks for having us. <laughs>
0: uh, Nathan Nadine, what would what would be your I guess since there's the two of you what would be your like superhero or super villain origin group story like if you were to make an Avengers with the two of you or if you were to make um like a suicide squad with the two of you like what would be what was your what's your origin story either way, if you're a hero or a villain
1: <laughs> also no pressure um, that he compared you to the avengers, so uh- <laughs> yeah,
0: seriously um
4: well we. We met um, in New West Symphony and Chorus, uh, a group that all of us have been a part of at one point or another. Um, Yeah, we met in that group in 2012, and um, uh, I was immediately... Interested in dating Nadine, and she did not realize that. So, <laughs> uh, so we dated for we dated for eight months, I think, and then we broke up. Um, we didn't see each other for a year and a half, and then um, Nadine made a very grand gesture to try and win me back, and I said no. <laughs> and, <laughs> Uh, I said no. And I said, we just wanted, I just wanted to be friends. Um, Cause I knew at that point that she, there was a big possibility that she could be moving across the country to go to school. Right. Yeah. And I specifically said, I don't want to do long distance. Amazing. And the day. That we found out that Nadine was going to school in Nova Scotia was the day that we started dating again. Amazing. So so
0: I guess we're doing long distance. (laughs)
4: Yeah. Yeah. So and and the original plan with Nadine's schooling was that she was only going to be away for two years. Mm -hmm. And then it ended up being three years. So we did three years of long distance. Um and Mm -hmm. And then uh, we got married the summer that she came home after she graduated. And yeah, now we've been married for
0: almost four years.
1: So crazy. Yeah. What a wild ride.
0: Yeah. That's crazy that it's been like 10 years, essentially, since you guys have met each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, That's that's really good math, Jimo. Well, (laughs) Well, 2012, and now we're in 2022. It's almost 10 years. Because you guys would yeah. probably met in the fall that year when choir started. Yeah, yeah. we met in the,
3: in September.
0: Oh, okay, I see. Yeah. I'm see, 20. I'm not I'm not that crazy. I'm well, I,
1: I wasn't taking into account the months. I was just like, Yeah, 2012 was ten years ago. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's kind of crazy.
4: Yeah. Wild. Yeah. Yeah, and if I hadn't met Nadine, I don't think I would have the job that I have now. So that's a pretty crazy thing because I don't know. I didn't feel like I had any qualifications to to get a job at Edelweiss Mm. and and I hadn't really I didn't really know very much about it before we were dating either so yeah
1: were you interested in working there before or you just mean that like the opportunity arose when you guys got together and you learned about Edelweiss
4: yeah I can talk about that I guess Mm -hmm. um uh so I, like Jameson said, I'd been working um, in restaurants uh, since I graduated, actually before I even went to SAIT. Um, I've done a lot of work in food service. Um, so I had worked, I was working downtown at a restaurant, um, like a casual fine dining place. And I was doing all the pastries there after school. And uh, the restaurant industry is super fickle. Um, You're super busy, especially around Christmas and and in Calgary, um, around Stampede. And then there's times where it's not busy and you don't really have work is kind of how it shakes out. Um, So we had just come through Christmas in in December and in January, uh, I was told that I had had, uh, three shifts, three shifts a week, three hours a shift, basically. And I was living uh out of my parents' house at that point, and so paying rent and all of that and I couldn't live on that
2: mm-hmm.
4: um, so I went home that day and immediately started applying for any job that I could think of um didn't really matter. I applied at all sorts of different places um and Nadine's parents uh are the owners of Edelweiss um and at that time they were looking for somebody to to join the team as a shipper mm. um and so i sent in a resume and went in and talked with them and they ended up hiring me even though i didn't really have any qualifications to do any of that kind of work um and they trained me they trained me in it and uh yeah it was it was a really awesome opportunity for me to learn something different. And then I started taking on a little bit more responsibility in different roles. Um, I have an interest in computers. So I started taking on some of the IT uh, things that that happened there and um, eventually was given the opportunity to take some courses uh, at SAIT in business to, to have a better understanding of how business operates and and learning, um, the theories and, and all that behind it. Mm. So I did that. And, um, now I'm, I'm overseeing, uh, most of the staff in the building and, uh, coordinating, uh, ordering of our imported products from Europe, um, and still doing, uh, some of the IT work and, I wear many hats in a, in a small family business. You, you just kind of jump in wherever you needed and help out. So, yeah. um, Yeah. Like a lot of us
0: upstairs, we all do a bunch of different things. Like we have our thumbs in quite a few different pies, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, that's just the nature of a small family run business, right? Like we all just chip in where we can. We all help out. We all help the business continue and operate and yeah.
2: Mm -hmm. That's cool
4: yeah
0: so that's kind of
4: I don't know, origin story, and a little bit about what I do,
0: I guess. Mm-hmm. yeah what about you, Nadine?
2: Um,
3: <laughs> I feel like it's totally off topic about me, <laughs> but um, yeah, so like I grew up, um my parents owning Edelweiss and just kind of, from like a young age, felt like I didn't want to be a part of that um like in my future and so um out of high school like I said I went into french which I I didn't actually end up taking any french courses mm-hmm. um at all in <laughs> university <laughs> um and uh knew that I wanted to like work with people i have a big passion for yeah b- being in kind of like um like a helping role like a helping profession And so I I started taking psychology courses and was looking at like speech pathology, was looking at social work and and in my second year I heard about this thing called music therapy, which I'd never heard of before, and did some research and realized like it was exactly what I wanted to do with my life. It blended my two loves Mm. perfectly. So like in a helping profession and um using music in a purposeful way and so yeah started working towards that got my degree um and I graduated in 2018 moved back to Calgary married Nathan started my internship um so in order to be an accredited music therapist in Canada you have to do an a thousand hour internship Okay. And um so I started that with the company that I work for now. And um yeah, I've I've been there since I graduated and um yeah, I'm like really passionate about my profession and about music therapy and how awesome it is. Um and also understand that like not very many people know exactly what that is and um <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of a yeah an interesting thing and i also definitely um the family business is a huge part of our marriage and our life nathan works there but i also um christmas time i usually have two jobs <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> um, the jumping in thing like i've been in pretty much every department of edelweiss as well and so um yeah pretty involved there too
1: that's cool yeah
0: yeah. But it's not the place that you work at all the time, thankfully, right? It's just <laughs> yeah. a nice place to come and like help out and, you know, see the family a little bit and yeah. 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 That's cool. Yeah.
1: That's a, I'm I'm glad your timelines lined up with each other too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you both got married in 2018 to each other. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. That'd be a bit of a, a weird story if that's not how it panned out. <laughs> Uh one one reason that I definitely wanted to bring you guys on um this is just based off what you were saying about music therapy is like music therapy even to me as like your brother-in-law and I've heard a lot about it like I still don't really know a lot about music therapy um yeah. but it's such an interesting way of using music as a therapeutic tool for people so um if you would maybe just give us a brief like reader's digest or however deep you want to go, just explanation of what music therapy, maybe what music therapy is and what music therapy is to you.
2: Hmm. Yeah.
3: So, so music therapy is, is an established profession. So um, there are, we are accredited professionals um, within um, healthcare settings, within school settings, in private practice, um, and in community based settings as well. So, um, we use music as our primary tool to reach a therapeutic goal. So, um, like in speech language pathology, your goals very broadly might be like, um, swallowing or, um, perfecting different speech sounds for young kids or those sorts of things. Whereas in music therapy, um, it's a little bit more broad. So, um, we do work on some speech goals. We can work on cognitive goals, um, through using music. Um, an example of that, uh, would be like, like planning out things. Um, so we might use songwriting to kind of, use um some cognitive skills in the music therapy programs. Um social skills is a huge one that we do. And um so we have all these different sorts of skills that we have that we work towards. Um, and we use music to achieve those goals. Okay. So different musical interventions. And so um we're we're a research-based practice. So um, or research informed practice. So we, there's lots of studies that kind of inform how we use music therapy in, in our different settings. I don't know if that was very clear. It is kind of a convoluted
0: thing. Um, you're, you're using research that's been established to support the work that you're doing in a therapeutic way with people. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, okay.
4: I think the best way I've heard you describe it is using music to achieve non-musical goals.
2: So it's oh, not that's like cool. It's is not
4: cool. like taking piano lessons where you are using music to achieve a musical goal of playing the piano. You're using music to achieve a non-musical goal. Right. So with with a client who you might be working on singing with. It's not it's not the same as like oh I want to learn how to sing. The singing the act of singing also helps with speech goals totally. and learning right. how to project your voice yeah. and use yeah. your breath and those those sorts of things as well.
1: Or like
3: making eye contact when you're engaging with each other. Totally. Or yeah,
1: multitasking. So, like there's so many different things you could include in it for sure yeah and I'm sure you probably like have you ever worked with any clients that um like suffered a stroke Mm -hmm. yeah yeah
3: yeah so I I've um I work kind of like all all over the place which is like great um I have a lot of experience with a lot of different populations but it also makes me like a master of none of those
4: Mm. populations because I'm so spread out so because you um, work with populations, you've worked with like neurotypical preschoolers. Um, you've worked with hard of hearing, yeah. deaf and hard of hearing uh, yeah. elementary students. Wow. you've worked with um, adults with varying levels of ability. Adults on the autism spectrum. Uh, you work in the hospital. Yeah, with. Uh, people who have suffered brain injuries mm-hmm. and then you work with like geriatric patients in long-term care and geriatric mm-hmm. patients w- uh, with Alzheimer's or dementia basically working with people on the entire
3: Life totally. lifespan yeah,
0: yeah.
4: Um, so
3: yeah ages like two to um over 100 like, wow. oh my
0: gosh
1: that's so yeah. cool Yeah. Yeah, How many
0: professions can claim that? Holy (laughs) smokes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) that's incredible.
1: Would you say? And
4: I think that's really
0: specifically with
4: the company that Nadine works for. They are very well established in Calgary and they have a lot of contracts with all different places. So I think a typical music therapist, they might work in a specific population, Mm -hmm. um, whereas Nadine works in a wide variety of populations. It's kind of wow. cool
1: though, because there's like something to be said about the inclusivity of of that kind of company, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you're right. Like yeah. it is. It's hard because then you don't really get a ton of experience in one area when you're kind of privy to working with a whole bunch of them.
3: Yeah. And I guess I shouldn't really say like a master of none. I think it's more like at the beginning I felt like, um Oh my goodness, I have to know The Wheels on the Bus and Cesar and right. like the yeah. piano man totally. and it's just Chattanooga like choo-choo. too many too many <laughs> genres and too many places that I have to like really understand and then the research behind those things. But now that I like and I'm I still feel really fresh in the profession, but now that I'm like further in, um yeah, I've had like I'm not a novice at any of one of those things but if i had just been in one population for a period of time maybe i would have the same amount of skills you know totally. a year in as i do now totally. like four years in that one population
2: totally. right. Well, and there's yeah. also
1: like even just like there's comparing like working with different populations but also working with the different reasons behind the need for the music therapy or the desire for the yeah. music therapy like there's a huge difference between working with someone who has a brain injury versus working with someone who's just like looking to use, I don't know, their right arm again. I don't know. <laughs> That's an yes, example yeah. But like, sure. Yeah. yeah. Like there's, there's, there's a huge, cause then you're not only learning these different songs to actually integrate into yeah. the therapy session. You're also trying to like figure out ways to communicate with them and. Yeah. Have that relationship building piece be built up. Yeah which is crazy exactly. that's like a huge yeah it's a huge task
0: <laughs> it's like a lot of yeah. weight but also um i think that's a huge privilege too like to be able to work with so many different people of so many different you know maybe um like abilities and strengths and um yeah. different walks of life too like being able to work mm-hmm. with kids and then working with people that are like on their deathbeds too like that's pretty incredible
3: yeah it I've been like really um yeah privilege is a good word but yeah I've met some like really amazing people um and yeah they like those stories those people stay with you like long after you've finished music therapy with them Mm -hmm. or yeah yeah, I, I have a really cool job. <laughs>
2: it is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah.
1: Is there um like a typical length of time that you spend with one client, or is um, it dependent? I suppose on the situation.
3: It it yeah like yes and no like I would say my most average ses- session is thirty minutes, um, but I do like individual work and group work, mm-hmm. and so group music therapy could be like 30 minutes. It could be an hour. It could be an hour and a half. I've done all mm-hmm. like, okay. All of that. And then individuals sometimes, sometimes like five minutes is enough for somebody who, mm-hmm. um who is a young person or like who has dementia and like, yeah, they just needed that five minutes to like, Finally, for the first time that day, sit down Mm. and they were relaxed and they weren't wandering and they weren't, um, yeah, like going about the halls Mm -hmm. and they just sat down for five minutes and enjoyed this, enjoyed the music. And the music was the reason they sat down. And then the second that song's done, they stand up and they walk away. And like Mm -hmm. that, that five minutes was still impactful. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I would say 30 minutes is probably like an average session, but you know five Minutes to an hour for an individual, mm-hmm. as
1: well, right? Yeah. yeah, that's funny. We were at school today, we were talking. I was like, it's like mental health awareness week or day at our school, and um, so we chatted this morning. I'm with a bunch of grade sixes, and just like what helps you either have like just like check ins with yourself, or like what do you use as self care, like a whole bunch of different things, and actually, like probably out of the first five things that they were suggesting music was one of them. I mean, there are a bunch of great sixes. So they're also like YouTube videos and Fortnite, but like music was, (laughs) yeah. But yeah, music was definitely one quickly mentioned. So like, it's, it is crazy. I mean, I feel like there's so many studies done about the effect that music has on people, whether or not it's being used in like a formal setting, like, yeah
3: yeah and like something that we talk about a lot too is like music is can be therapeutic but you have but the difference is like the difference between music therapy and using music music therapeutically Mm -hmm. um is like music therapy you have somebody there to um facilitate facilitate Mm -hmm. the session right and And actually I've had many conversations with people in the hospital because sometimes I see people in the hospital one time, that's it. And like, how do you make that one time, you know, meaningful and also last for longer than a half an hour, an hour. And, and we do talk about using music on your own. And like, Mm -hmm. it, it is, it is something that people have used for like, for forever like Mm -hmm. it it dates back to ancient times of people using music to to come together culturally or use it as music and healing like yeah um so yeah it's we we try to equip people too to be able to use it on their own Mm -hmm. of course people are doing that anyways um but like the difference of like. Just doing it subconsciously and then actually consciously like going into your playlist and being like, oh, this song actually like boosts my mood. Yeah. And I know that. And I know that it helps me in this situation. So I'm going to consciously choose
1: that when I'm feeling this way. Yeah. Yeah. I have a sleep playlist that I listen to to fall asleep at night. Yeah.
0: Nice. (laughs) Which then
1: makes any of my recommendations when I'm just like going through random music super weird, but...
0: Yeah, (laughs) you're just going through your playlist, and then you're listening to something, and then it hits one of your sleep songs. Then you just start feeling drowsy for no reason. (laughs) Why do I feel sleepy right
1: uh... now?
0: Yeah, and and
4: Nadine's Spotify is—it's a mess. Yeah,
1: there's like (laughs) no trends happening. (laughs) There's no trends. No,
4: it's—it's from Rafi to like music from the 1920s. It's just like such a weird mix of things.
3: I was on uh, George Strait's top 10, like, you know, at the end of the year, you get like a review of like who you listen to the most. Don't, I don't listen to George Strait, but I was, yes, he was my most listened to artist. And I was in his top 10% listeners. What? Yeah. (laughs) That's amazing.
1: amazing. (laughs)
4: <laughs> wow. I mean, one client. I'm
1: giving him a lot of credit. I don't know. Is he, I guess, yeah, like he is obviously very well-known and highly appreciated. But
3: All it takes is like one person to totally. love it. Totally.
1: <laughs> that's that's like... the thing, right? Yeah. yeah. So that,
0: that one person is definitely like in the top 10% for sure. So <laughs> yeah. And it just is reflected on your Spotify stats.
1: <laughs> yeah. it's amazing.
0: Funny, like you, what you were saying about all of the different things that you've like put your your experience into, like working with kids or maybe working with adults or working with seniors or working with people of differing abilities too. Like, um and what you said about being a jack of all trades type of thing, I think that's um that's really similar to what to what Nathan and I are doing at Edelweiss too. It's like we've both worked in a lot of different areas mm-hmm. and. I think the advantage that we've had similar to what you were saying about, like you, you work with all these different people, but you don't get to have that time maybe with just kids to focus mm-hmm. on just being with kids. Right. But in a, in a place like where Nathan and I have worked, you know, we're in shipping for maybe a year or we're in different parts of the store for a lot of longer amounts of time. um, And I, I think I think both probably present different advantages and disadvantages too. Like you can really sink your teeth into one area. Like if you're in the bakery and you're making cakes, then you can really sink your teeth into that. Or if you're just working with seniors, you can really kind of sink your teeth into that. So I don't know if that, if that idea of like spreading out your attention over multiple areas kind of simultaneously or, focusing your attention on one area and then you jump around from one area to another. If, if that idea like rings true with either of you, um, I think we could chat about that for a bit.
4: Yeah. I think like for me, one of the reasons why I love Edelweiss and love what I get to do there is that I get to work in all different areas. Mm-hmm. Um I think for, for me, for how I am as a person, being able to do different things, like if my job was the same thing every day at the same time, punch in, you punch out, Mm -hmm. you do the thing. Yeah. I, that's not really how I like to live my life. I think I like to have variety. I like to be able to, you know, order products or unpack a container and, and you know, ship things out. I also like that I can sometimes go down into the bakery and work on a project down there. If they're short, I can go in and help. I really like being able to do a wide variety of things. And I think that if you can continue to do those things, eventually you learn to be quite proficient at, mm. at all of mm-hmm. them. Um, it, I think like Nadine was saying about her work, if if she could have worked in one population, she probably would have learned everything that she knows now, four years later, she could have learned that within the first year. Right. But I think it makes you a more well-rounded employee mm-hmm. to, to an organization. It also makes you a more well-rounded person mm-hmm. to be able to do such a wide variety of things. Um, yeah. I totally and I agree. Think,
0: mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. The, the years of my life where I worked specifically in, a profession and did schooling for it, I think that none of that was wasted because the person that I am at the end of it it taught me a lot of transferable skills that will transfer to any type of work that I do, but it also um has has yeah it's it's taught me skills that I can use for the rest of my mm-hmm. life too, even if it's not in a thing where I'm drawing a paycheck from it, you know mm-hmm. being yeah, able totally. to cook and you know, cook food for Nadine and myself and for friends and family is a great skill that I learned from working in the industry that I worked in. Same with baking. And that's that will that will be with me for the rest of my life. Totally. So I think I I really appreciate that I can do such a wide variety of things and that I can pull on past experience to help me now, even if it's not my day to day job anymore.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think like personalities too, like, yeah, definitely. I feel like there are people who strive immensely on just doing the same thing every day, Mm -hmm. but I think it's like, that's just not for everyone. Right. Like I think too, like just the idea of getting the experience in the beginning and I think about teaching momentarily of just like, starting off subbing or even just when I was doing practicums and getting different experience in different grades gave me the opportunity to be like, no, I will not work with high school students. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Like now I know (laughs) that. Right. But if you don't get those opportunities, then you, or you don't take those opportunities, then you're not going to know what you don't want to do, which is super important because figuring that out can suck sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) So for
0: Nadine, for you, like is there out of out of all the experience that you've had, is there a population that you find more difficult than another or one that you find um that you gravitate towards you're able to yeah, like something you're able to gravitate towards or a population that you're able to have like more therapeutic impact on?
4: Um,
3: I really like working with like pediatrics, so with like kids. Okay. Um but like in saying that there's like so many, (laughs) so many different ways that you can go through it. And uh, yeah, like, yeah. Working at like working with deaf and hard of hearing kids is going to be very different from Mm. working with um, uh, kids on the spectrum. So, yeah. um, And I've, and I, and I have experience in both and I love both. I think, I think, yeah. Like, I think I really do enjoy working with, with pediatrics but i also i do like some variety as well i think like for my stress level mm. i would like it to be a little bit like i like a little bit more predictability um and that's just like not necessarily something that that i have the like the leisure of having right now i guess with like where i'm at in my in my profession
0: right but
3: um yeah, I do think I'd like to work with pediat- pediatrics, but I would also be really sad then to not be working with like <laughs> some of the, like yeah. the adults that I work with. And um, I also like, I really love, I really love long-term care and um, working with, with seniors too. So uh, it's hard for me to say, cause I do really love it all.
2: Mm. Yeah.
1: That's cool yeah. though. That's not everyone can say that. <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> not, is, not everyone can say they love all parts of their job. Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah.
3: <laughs> I don't love all parts of my job, but like or, yeah, I right, the, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I do love all the people that I work with. So. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. That's and that can be hard to come by. I like I feel like a lot of people will say, "Oh, I like the people that I work with," as in my colleagues, or "Oh, I like my clients," or however students, however you refer to the people that you are helping. But yeah. it's hard to. Kind of get it all in one package.
0: Um, I know one thing that that Nathan, you and I, and Nadine, the three of us, were talking about a few months ago was like this idea of qualification versus experience and Andrew and I have kind of been uh, shooting ideas back and forth a little bit about that topic too and um, I think Nathan like for your background and your and the industry that you kind of cut your teeth in working in a kitchen right like there's a certain level of qualification that is probably necessary in some roles like being a chef or being um, you know, a business owner, um, uh, but there's also a lot of margin and a lot of um, I guess, wiggle room for people to come in that don't really have experience in that industry but are enthusiastic about learning, right? And so you mm-hmm. gain experience in that industry. But then, as a chef, you also gain experience the more years you work in the industry, right? So you start with a certain level of qualification, maybe, You know, the fire is initially lit by a passion for cooking. And then you go to school, you do the things in school, you become a chef, you start in a restaurant, and then you go from restaurant to restaurant. Um, and then on on Nadine's side as well, like I think we were talking about being a musician that you can you can learn the guitar on YouTube, you can watch all kinds of YouTube videos, you can learn how to play piano. Like some people just sit down behind a piano when they're like five years old and they just sort of know what to do, right? Um, And that's a level of experience that you can kind of teach yourself, like that type Mm -hmm. of knowledge is available pretty widely on the internet, on things like YouTube or Skillshare or whatever. Um, But to do something like what you're doing with music therapy, there is a certain level of qualification that you have to achieve. And I think what we were talking about at that point, I don't know if you guys remember, was what's what's the line between <coughs> qualification versus experience mm-hmm. and yeah. what necessitates somebody to have that qualification in order to occupy the position that they have versus how much experience can you maybe build up to get to a point where that position is still a feasible option. Um. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I I think we had a pretty good chat about it, and I would love to riff on that between the four of us for a bit. I think that'd be cool. Yeah, <laughs>
4: yeah. I think it the the conversation kind of started like we're we're listeners of of the podcast, and I think your first conversation with Andrea before she was a co host was kind of what sparked the conversation Uh-oh. that we had later on because we it was a it like your conversation with Andrea was about um, people working in education and things like that. And yeah, we, we had, we had a bit of a discussion about kind of how that, that episode went. Mm -hmm. Um, And we were talking about like, yeah, when, when can uh, your experience, you know, just having experience be enough to, to work in an industry or call yourself a professional in in an industry versus when you actually really do need to like mm. go to school mm-hmm. and yeah. be a qualified person to work in in a role yeah. and that it's not it's not a black and white thing it's a very gray area it really depends on the type of industry totally. um so yeah like like you were saying jameson in 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 a restaurant um I started working in food service with zero experience. My very first job was working in food service. I didn't need to have a degree. I didn't even need to go to SAIT for cooking mm. yeah. to be able to work in food service. Mind you, it was a pizza place, <laughs> but still you, you don't yeah. need to have you don't need to have any experience to work in food service. Yeah. Um you do need to have an understanding of uh cleanliness food and food safety yeah. but that can be something that you're trained in um so yeah you can you can work there's industries that you can work in with no experience um and and something I've heard said about specifically in in cooking but I think it applies in a lot of areas is that the person makes the paper the paper doesn't make the person speaking specifically about like a degree Right. Like it, like if yeah. you if you go through schooling and get a degree it doesn't always mean that you're going to be proficient in what totally. that yeah. degree can actually get you into yeah. for work. 100%. And yeah. and in cooking it's like there's lots of people that I went to school with or you know people that I met that have that went through, you know, cooking school or baking school and they couldn't cook mm. or they couldn't bake. But they they had the, the accreditation Saying to that say they that they, they did the courses right. and things, but in at the end of the day, they were not able to actually handle what the industry actually is. Mm-hmm. Um so that's an interesting yeah, that's that's an interesting kind of aside mm-hmm. about it. But um yeah, I think where our conversation our conversation went to was talking about. Where yeah, where is the line? Where where do you actually need to have accreditation versus being able to be experienced and you know uh, being able to work in a in an industry mm-hmm. just based on experience? Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think kind of where we landed on it was: is what you're doing does it have the ability to cause harm to another individual? Mm-hmm. And that that's where you can start to see a totally. bit of a pattern. Yeah.
0: Like yeah, like there's a lot of gray in, around that, but that's probably the central line that you can say, mm-hmm. okay, this is maybe a definitive cutoff. Yeah. At, so at the, as the point that you need to be educated to move past this point. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Like even, even working in with food, or is there the potential to cause harm to an individual? Yes. Like if you are yeah. if you don't know about allergens, yeah. yeah. Or if you don't know about Food safety yeah. and sanitation. You can call. You can give somebody an allergic reaction. You can give somebody food poisoning. Yeah. Um, so there is a level of education that you must have in order to not cause harm to another. Totally. That like we talked about it with music therapy as well, and you have the ability to cause harm, or there's potential to cause harm if you don't understand
0: the implications of what you're
4: doing. Totally.
1: Long-term effects, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think if you claim to be practicing as a therapist, but you're not authorized or licensed as a therapist, then it can be Mm -hmm. then you can be doing more harm than good because you may not necessarily know what you're doing or not doing with a client. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: Yeah, because that was a big part of
0: your education. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Or even like if you're advertising that you are something, like whatever it is, and and that's how you're getting your clientele, and then you're not actually providing what that profession is or what that you know whatever that title says that you should be providing then i mean yeah yeah. i guess in some ways it's not necessarily causing harm but it's illegitimately (laughs) you know yeah right like or or it's you know you're selling something that you're not actually selling right? Like you're, you're advertising something that you're not actually selling. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
4: And I think that's why there's so many like governing bodies in different industries, like in counseling, therapy, music therapy, all of those things, there's a governing body Mm -hmm. and there's requirements for you to be able to put those, you know, letters behind your name. They stand for something Mm -hmm. and the college, you know, has standards that you have to uphold. And there's a level of continuing education that you have totally. to do as well. Yeah. Too it's yeah. not just getting your degree and that's it. Mm-hmm. it. There's there's actually an expectation of that you're going to continue to learn as you mm-hmm. work in this profession. Totally.
3: Yeah, I had things to say, but I feel like I said most of us. <laughs> <them. laughs> <laughs> you, <always, laughs> you always stopped and looked at me. But well, one yeah. one
0: thing that I was thinking of, like in regards to music is it's kind of like when I was uh when I was a voice teacher for a bit and I know I've mentioned this on previous episodes too but like I went to school for for vocal performance and I took a vocal pedagogy course to learn how to teach voice lessons but I wasn't actually like authorized to teach voice lessons and maybe you know and like all my students knew that that was the case and they were all fine with that they still decided to move forward with lessons but um I wonder too like how much damage maybe I could have caused by not being fully licensed as a as a voice teacher or as a a music major right but at the same time like um I think the amount of value that I was able to give to my students during that year was like more fo- like foundational knowledge about how to sing properly yeah. and then whatever they do with that knowledge afterwards is kind of on them also but um I don't know if there's a similar thing for you, Nadine, with like music therapy. If if any of that kind of resonates with you in your experience,
3: yeah. Like, um, so before I became a music therapist, um, a site that i that I work at or I worked at in my job, I had volunteered there when I was going to U C, and I did hymn sings there. So it's like it's a fairly like. It's a fairly similar type. Um, it's like the closest comparison I can give you of like right, yeah. how, how like pre music therapist, post music therapist. Um, but I was going in to him sings and I was with a chaplain. So there was somebody there who like um, was obviously more like was qualified and and knew, knew what to do with, you know when emotions rise when um when behaviors start mm. i i wasn't equipped with any of that beforehand mm. and so had i gone in and claimed to be a music therapist and um d- you know did a sing along or something like that for 30 minutes what could have happened in that 30 minutes well <laughs> Yeah. Like I've like people have pulled down their pants in front of me. Like what, what would you do in that situation? Right, yeah. And like, um,
1: uh, I Casually say music is stay up. <laughs> 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 Thank you so much. Yeah. Cause you're a teacher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but,
3: uh, or like, um, music is really emotional and, um, it can trigger some really totally, Beautiful memories and some really hard mm-hmm. memories, and so you know y- you might play a song and you might not realize that that song is triggering somebody in the group. Um, and as a music therapist, for sure, I've I've played a song before and, and it's caused triggers also. But I, I'm equipped with what to do when that happens. When, when. that happens, right beforehand, right. I would I was not equipped with what to do before. I I could have maybe given my like try at it um and tried to rely on, you know, my people skills, but that's not the same thing. That's not though that's not counseling skills at all. Um there's like an intuition
1: response that some people may have or may not have, but then there's also this learned response that you're actually actively helping someone in that situation yeah and like navigating through
3: really hard yeah. and difficult emotions and
0: yeah um yeah. how
3: to bring closure at the end of something mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. and so something that may just look like oh they're just they're just singing for you know 30 minutes and that's all that's going on there like no there's actually like more stuff going on mm-hmm. so like that is an issue like with in the music therapy world right now is that because we're kind of a new profession in Canada Canada, and we're not even really that new. it's been a profession since the 60s so it's not really that new but um because it's maybe less well known um there are a lot of people who claim to be music therapists who who maybe use music and they use it for themselves therapeutically and they work with different populations and that's what they're calling it Mm. And, um, those people do have qualify. like some of those people are much better musicians than I am. Um, and so they do have different qualifications, but what, what Andrea said, like really resonated with me is like, it's, it's what the public perceives. Mm. So if they think that you're a music therapist and you're doing music therapy, but you've, you don't actually really know what music therapy is or don't even really know it's a profession.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah.
3: It, it's it's harmful for the profession of music therapy, sure, which is yeah. why um, music therapists are so protective over that name. But it can also, like you, you've just told all these people that that's music therapy, and that right. now that's what they think right. music therapy is totally. too. So
0: it it like delegitimizes everything that you've gone yeah. to school for and studied and spent time and money and energy on yeah. to learn and develop.
1: I think too, if there's like yeah. if there is. I guess like an ineffective time spent with someone experiencing a person who is essentially using music as a therapeutic tool versus actually doing music therapy. And then that damages the name of music therapy. Then there's no, there's like next to no chance that that person's going to go and try like another, music therapist you know what I mean like it's hard to explain that without people seeing our conversation but um yeah yeah, like I I think too um even just like going straight to therapy like not using music therapy but just like going to see a counselor for a traumatic life situation or whatever it is and you're and you're just going to see a therapist like a counselor um I think JMO you and I talked about how or maybe it was when we had um the other Andrea on um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> last episode of just like going to like when you find a therapist and you try that therapist and it doesn't feel like a right fit going to at least two or three others until you find someone who is and if someone is actually having like a damaging experience then they're not going to want to try like I had a I mean I I guess you could call it a damaging it, it was an ineffective <laughs> therapy session when I was like 13 years old and I was like this is gonna help me and it absolutely didn't and then I was like I will not I'm not like I boycotted therapy for the longest time until I had like a mindset shift of understanding the importance of therapy and even just like for your own mental health check-ins like all that kind of stuff like there doesn't need to be a reason to go and see that therapist that's a tangent but all of that to say like, it, it is unfortunate if your experience ends up poorly and then you are not interested in trying other tools. So if you have a damaging experience with one music quote-unquote therapist and it's damaging or your parents see that it's damaging for their kid, they're not going to want to try another music therapist because why mm-hmm. would they if it was that terrible of a situation? You know what I mean? So... I totally get it mm. it's it's a it's not necessarily a fine line, but it is a fine line as to making sure that you are who you say you are <laughs> when yeah. it comes to whatever profession and, you're claiming that you yeah. are a part of
2: mm-hmm.
3: and that's why there's like Nathan was referring to before that's why there's colleges. Mm. And that's why there's governing bodies Mm -hmm. and music therapy is now trying to work towards, we're like, we're becoming part of the counseling therapy college in Alberta, which is, which is right now in parliament. So we're still Mm -hmm. waiting on getting fully credentialed. So that will just mean that our title is protected in the community totally. and so if anybody uses that and incorrectly like they're they're, they're straight up not allowed yeah <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah they, so they can be held liable for it totally i think so yeah i
1: that that yeah. would make sense that okay. that's at least what they're trying for if it doesn't yeah yeah that's yeah that's good yeah that's that is a good thing for <laughs> the world of music therapy
0: I know the two of you guys in both of your industries, like in music therapy and also in um, like business operation side of, of everything, like having to deal with, you know, everything that's come out of this pandemic the last two years. And I know like pandemic. Yeah. We're, you know, we're kind of coming out of it now here in Alberta, but yeah, Kenny said the pandemic is over. So, you know, but um, I know like at the store, we had a pretty wild, intro to the pandemic where we sent half of the people home and then we did like a A 18 B team and we would switch teams if somebody got sick. And that was kind of our initial plan. And now everyone's back. And if people are sick, then they just stay home. And um, there's been a lot of stuff that we've had to do like at the store in the last two years to really navigate what comes down from the provincial regulations and all of it. And then, Um, Nadine, even on your part, like you work in hospitals quite a lot and you're in nursing homes and you're, you're working with a lot of different people and you had to do a lot of sessions online. And, um, I don't know, maybe we can talk about that for a little bit. I think there's a lot of different things that you guys have done in the last two years to, to really navigate this whole thing.
3: Yeah. The biggest thing for me was, (sighs) yeah, (laughs) I guess the biggest thing is that, Yes, the pandemic is over, but it's it's not not really over. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, yeah. Like when the pandemic hit, I feel like everybody really thought it was going to be like a short period of time. And so that's like Edelweiss did the A team, B team, because I think they thought like everybody was going to get sick. And so when everybody from A team got sick, B team would go in and that like evidently didn't happen. There wasn't a lot of COVID there was really not tons of COVID here when that did happen, and, and in my job, um, I went in on the f- on the Friday, and I was supposed to lead a, like a drumming session, and um, there were like big rumbles of like you know COVID is kind of coming, and um, <laughs> I I had I had ten like I had ten people registered that would come every single friday to this drum circle and i set up the room because i was like well i haven't really heard what's going on so i'm just going to set up the whole room mm-hmm. right and my boss was actually in the office that day um and she like came in and she was like oh you like set up for everybody and i was like well yeah because i i don't like i'm Who knows? i don't know yeah. like what's what's happening And no, nobody came that day, like not a single person. And then on the Monday, that's when things, um, really started to shut down. And I did that Monday, I did go into one long-term care facility and that was the last long-term care facility I went into for over a year. Wow. Um, and yeah, so we like the company that I worked for had already kind of been thinking of like doing online music therapy pre-pandemic I don't know how she like
1: she had premonitions
3: (laughs) yeah it was it was pretty like I, I she she sat us all down like a couple weeks before we like the pandemic really hit and she was like so who would be comfortable doing online music therapy and I was like that sounds horrible <laughs> I will not be doing that and then and then we had to and mm-hmm. the beginning was hard because like how do you how do you have interactive music therapy through a computer yeah. screen um and it was it was hard and it wasn't always great and then like like I'm still doing online music therapy now because um there are some places that go get on outbreak mm-hmm. and then in some ways it's great because before when they were on outbreak we wouldn't go in but now we can go in on an iPad and right. still like connect with people and I'm still seeing some individuals on on online too and there's some really beautiful moments that can happen you know online and in this capacity too like had some really really cool sessions and and stuff but it has been like a lot of pivoting and a lot of changing and it's it's interesting to like hear what the outside world is saying and then go into the hospital. And it's like, everybody outside is like, yay, freedom. And then you go into the hospital and have to change your mask. You have to get screened at the door. Right. You, you are like one of a few people that actually gets to go into Mm -hmm. the hospital. And some of those people are like until recently, there was only one visitor allowed. And so you have the privilege of going in and being another person that they get to see, which is like, which is kind of crazy. And at one point, at one point there were no visitors allowed in, but I was allowed in.
1: Wow. And,
3: um, yeah, just like (laughs) that feeling of like, oh, like how, like just a lot of responsibility and a lot of like,
1: yeah. It's a big load to carry. And yeah.
3: And also feeling like, at the beginning when rumblings were starting to happen, I was getting freaked out about going into all these places because I work with such vulnerable people Mm. and I work in various healthcare settings. And so like if I had something, how I, I see, I see probably over a hundred people a week that I interact with and or both pre, sorry, pre-pandemic. Um, like in person, mm-hmm. I would see mm-hmm. like over a hundred people, like just a lot. Like if I had COVID, how many places am I now right. spreading yeah. this to? And Seriously. Yeah. So it was a lot of stress at the beginning for sure. And then just that navigating part. And then with Edelweiss, like that was also like, we were both <laughs> trying to figure that out. And it's also been that balance to like throughout it all. Right. As well. Like if, Nathan sees a lot of people and if he interacts with COVID people, that
1: affects my work. Yeah. There's Mm -hmm. so many factors. It's crazy. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
4: Yeah. And at at Edelweiss, it's been very interesting. Um, I've never spent so much time on government websites, (laughs) reading (laughs) documentation, watching news conferences, you know, watching updates and and then watching those things and then sitting down and saying okay now what are we going to do yeah and yeah. um i really believe that uh businesses and organizations that were able to be flexible are a lot of the businesses and organizations that are still around yes. now yes. I, and and um that was it was hard it was hard i like um edelweiss is a pretty big company I, I, A lot of people don't really know that but it's it's big and it's a sometimes a bit of a, a big boat to turn mm. on a on a dime and yeah, that that really true. felt like what we had to do so i think we've become a lot more flexible than than we were before um and yeah it, it's been it's been an interesting couple of years trying to figure out how to navigate this and try to figure out a way to do it. That is uh, protecting the vulnerable populations that we specifically serve as a business. Mm-hmm. Cause we cater to a lot of uh, seniors mm-hmm. and, and so we were really looking out for them and we still are really looking out for them. Um, and then also still trying to like run a business mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. That's it's been an interesting it's been very interesting uh um, juggle at all, yeah, and I like yeah, a lot of businesses have moved uh you know like Nadine's work, she does a lot of work online and we've uh really revamped our website um and that's been a really cool thing that's come out of this. Our website is better than it's ever been, um basically have like click and collect for edelweiss you can order your meats Mm -hmm. and cheeses online tell us how you want it sliced and everything and you know we can get it ready for you which was not was not possible um it wasn't even really a consideration until uh we we essentially closed our doors at the beginning of the pandemic and operated the store like a giant vending machine and so yeah that's uh, right yeah um my father-in-law built a little room right at the front door and one person could come into it at a time and they would tell us what we, what they wanted and we would gather it all up and yeah.
3: That's it, wild. It's,
4: it feels, it feels it's like. Uh,
3: <laughs> in, yeah. Everything was encased in glass. Yeah. Yes. They
0: were fully encased in glass and yeah, we got we uh, yeah, the fishbowl. Right. Yeah. At the front. Yeah. Yeah. There was only yeah. one person allowed in for a while and then we did it up to two people and then it was up to three people and like, yeah. And then we were like sticking stuff on the inside of the glass, like, oh, I want that loaf of bread and I want that <laughs> spice mix and I want that, you know, deli meat mm. sliced at whatever thickness. And like it was yeah. it was a, a while that we had that up there. Mm-hmm. Quite a while. Yeah.
1: I feel like a lot yeah. of businesses and companies have like there I mean, obviously there's been losses, but there have been like you said, like now you have a website that like you've probably in some ways expanded your quote unquote audience too by having that as an option. Mm-hmm. Right. We use click and collect. Yep. That's how we get our groceries in our house. <laughs> like no one has time to go to the grocery store anymore. So it's like, can you stop by superstore on your way home and open your trunk and let someone put your groceries in? Yep. Okay, cool. Great. <laughs> so it, it does. It's yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, it's uh, a good evil this pandemic it's cool to
0: see like what's come out of the pandemic too like as lots has been lost gnarly as it's been for a lot of people and as difficult as it's Mm -hmm. been for a lot of businesses like you know us getting such a yeah like getting such a robust website and um yeah it's it's only advanced the business in other ways too like the amount of orders that we had over christmas last year and the year before Nadine <laughs> shaking her head. <laughs> She's like, Bonkers. no, we do not speak of Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, no, it's but all, all of that yeah. to say, like, it's wild how much something like that that was born out of necessity has like totally. propelled us into better place or, or into mm-hmm. the place that we are right now. Yeah. Like, would you yeah. say some of the things yeah. have
1: been, have made it like almost in some ways more efficient?
0: Yeah. I think, um,
4: I think that and that's a continu- like it's a continual thing mm-hmm. definitely starting out it was not right. efficient um and in some ways it still isn't efficient uh something that I realized is I never I I never knew how much labor the customer actually does themselves when they go shopping <laughs> that's I mean. yeah like right. we we have to do very little for them actually but when you're doing all of that for them Uh, you know, like if, if an order comes in and you're running around the store, finding everything, you know, boxing it up, bringing it through the till and, and all of that, like it's, it's a lot of work. (laughs) And so it's finding efficient ways to do that, that that's been, that's been a struggle. Um, but I think it's, it's put us in a different position to really take a look at some of those processes and try and find inefficiencies and find ways to, to fix them. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and we wouldn't have done, we wouldn't have done a lot of that looking, I think, if we hadn't have had to do, yeah, do it out of necessity. Mm -hmm. For a while, it was the only way that we could get product out the door was to either take a phone call, right, and write an order, or let people place it on the website, or people come in and we would write their order down when they were standing there. Like that was the only way right at the Mm -hmm. beginning that people, that we could get things to people and then even as capacity levels changed uh like yeah christmas 2020 we could have 17 customers in the store at a time at our busiest season Mm -hmm. of the year yeah and we were lined up Mm -hmm. to the street Mm -hmm. with people waiting to come in so having a way that people could have their stuff all ready to go and they just open their trunk and we drop it in there for them it it allowed us to be able to serve way more right. people than just seventeen
1: than if time. we
2: yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah then yeah so, way more than the government mandated capacity would allow right. us to do if we were able to mm-hmm. get more stuff out and serve more people. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: Yeah. So yeah it's it's been it's been interesting. Um and as as things continue to like yeah like we've said if we, we're not really through this. Yeah. So we're not we're we're thankful right now that there's not very much that we have to be doing in terms of restrictions, regulations, um, capacity levels or anything mm-hmm. like that. But we're prepared that if if something were to change, yeah. we can we can revert and, um, you know, continue to continue to function. So that's yeah. that's good.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like you are dealing with some of the like repercussions of COVID in a different way of like staff being mm-hmm. sick. Mm -hmm. And like your ability to like be flexible before is helping you to be flexible Mm -hmm. now when there's key people out because of COVID. and
2: Yeah.
0: Well, I I think like that goes back to what we were talking about being able to do a bunch of different things within the store or having that flexibility that, that I guess you and I both have that, um, Mm -hmm. that we've been able to fill a bunch of roles as they've been, empty Uh right Mm -hmm. um and I think that's that ability to adapt to a situation I think has really helped um you know people like us at the store that have been through all of this and you know there's a vacuum that appears and it needs to be filled or that ability to adapt in your industry Nadine with moving everything online even though you really didn't want to and um like being willing to adapt and go into like going into a hospital and you know adjusting your entire workflow and your entire work day and your work around all of the regulations that are happening. Adaptability, I think, has been um, the real key characteristic that that people have like had to grow into, mm-hmm. right? Like they've had yeah. to adopt a certain level of adaptability. Well, and
1: in order to find any kind of success, too, right? in an yeah. in yeah. ever-changing pandemic, where there's zero control over anything that happens. And instead of just shutting down and, and not existing or not operating to find ways around it, it's definitely valuable for all people involved.
0: What's one thing you wish, maybe an answer from each of you, what's one thing that you wish people knew about the industry that you work in? If it's music therapy or if it's running a small local business Um, and maybe tacked onto the back of that, what's something that just based on the last bit of our conversation here, what's something that these last two years have taught you in respect to your individual industries as well?
2: it's a hard question yeah I guess
3: like the biggest thing that like I would want people to know about the industry that I work in is how do I say this like like I've been saying kind of throughout like it's a very misunderstood Mm -hmm. not even misunderstood it's just like not very known Mm -hmm. and um there's nothing better than like (laughs) not nothing better but when you meet somebody who knows what music therapy is and Mm. they just like get it it's it's it can be a lot to constantly try to be validating what you do and like um constantly be advocating for what you do and it's, it's not really a great answer to your question but like yeah, I would just I would love for more people to have a, a r- real understanding of what music mm-hmm. therapy is. Yeah.
1: Um
3: without going back through everything we just said. Um right. that's like yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um yeah, because yeah, like I uh, I was just chatting with somebody at choir the other day and she was like, "What do you do?" and I was like, "Oh, I'm a music therapist." And she knew that what I was because she's like had experience with that and it was just like, "Oh, That's Mm -hmm. so nice. Like, I don't have, like, people aren't, like, looking, like, because it's one of those things where you, somebody's like, what do you do? And you say, I'm a music therapist. And you're trying to gauge from their face, like, if they're not reacting, because they don't want to look silly, which, like, (laughs) there's nothing to be silly about, because not very many people know about it. Or if, you know, like, question. Yeah. And so I'm like, do I like, and I also don't want to, like, underestimate people's like totally. what they do know, so I'm know not going to be like yeah. I'm a music therapist, and this is what that means. <laughs> so I usually like wait, but often they might they just yeah try to pretend to know. So, anyways, that's like one thing that I wish was more evident. And the second, or do you want to answer your question first? Go ahead. Oh, um, like with music therapy, it's given us a bit of like, I mean, it's it's caused us to be really resilient. Like a lot of music mm. therapists. Um, lost their jobs through the pandemic, and it was really, really hard and um without going into too many details, like we did like my hours were really low at the beginning of the pandemic and then got more and more and more mm-hmm. even through online music therapy um, and I think like the biggest thing is like people want us, and our profession is like it's it's one of those things that can't be replaced and that's been like very evident throughout the pandemic like Mm. we were really missed in a lot of situations and we were one of those like in long-term care we would we would go on online and um it was such like a a great life change like like a relief for so many staff that we were just even there just to you know take half an hour with these clients and be their social connection for the week kind of thing. And so, I don't know. I feel like the pandemic kind of was like, yeah, you guys are important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe that's, yeah. That's, oh, cool, that's cool.
1: That is cool. It kind of validates in a new way why you do what you do and, and why you have such a huge passion for what you do, that it is, it is necessary. And just because not a lot of people know about it, That doesn't mean it's not important. There is is a specific targeted group of people that really benefit from it in whatever way they are benefiting from it. So whether it's Mm -hmm. the actual client or like, like even just like the caregivers or care providers, because whether it's like seen as a break for them to hand their client over to you for the half hour session or just like getting to see that shift in that client when they hop on to the session or when they're in that session and actually getting to see the benefits of like the effects of the time that is spent with you. That's really cool.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
4: Uh, And for me, something I wish people knew.
0: (laughs) Where to start. (laughs) Yeah. It's no more
4: than
3: a full time job <laughs> yeah
4: that that's that's true. It is more than a full time job i think i've I've talked with a staff member who's uh her her parents owned uh different businesses when she was growing up, and something that she said is uh people often only ever see your success and they don't see what it takes in order for you to be successful right um like she used the example like her dad would work seven days a week and he would work all kinds of crazy hours in order to make the business that they that they owned function mm-hmm. and and people only ever saw that they were doing well and didn't see what what the cost was on the other end of it um so yeah I guess that would that would be one thing and that I think the other thing too is, is that like small business is really important. It's really mm. important in, in the economy. That's, that is like a proven thing that small businesses really it's the backbone of, of economies and um, the people that work there, they, they really care about what they do care. I don't know. We care a lot about what, what we do. We care a lot about what we what we sell, what we offer, Um, care a lot about the people that we get to interact with on a daily or weekly basis. Mm -hmm. Um, We care about your stories. Um, And uh, yeah, I don't know, I think that's part of what makes small businesses special is that the the human element to Mm -hmm. it. And it's not, you know, just a
1: number crossing the threshold of the automatic mm-hmm. doors <laughs>
0: yeah you're, yeah of course you're not just a transaction number
1: mm-hmm.
4: yeah
0: like I there's there's people
4: sometimes I don't pick up the phone as often as I used to but I still I still talk with people on the phone who I talked with you know four or five years ago and they placed an order one time and they remember me I remember them mm. that's a really interesting thing that you know or or like we have customers that call and they ask to speak to a specific person and mm. that's the person that helps them out. And that level of, of service and care is, is, I think it's important. I don't know. And, and people really like it. So
1: mm-hmm. um, yeah. It's like a two, like it's, a, it goes both ways, right? Like small businesses, they care about their customers, but I feel like if you are a customer of that small business, you are, you care about that small business. And I think I feel like, anyways, at least on social media, it seemed like throughout the last two years, there was a lot more appreciation for and publicly made for small businesses.
2: Mm, yeah. Because it mm-hmm. was
1: a lot harder for you guys to, in essence, survive what we went through and and come out still able to open your doors every day like I worked at it's so weird to think about now but I was working at a restaurant the January just before the pandemic and I no longer like that we got let go everyone was let go because they had to shut their doors and then next thing we knew (laughs) I like I still have never received anything saying that they're just they're not even opening like they're just not reopening and it just like it's kind of like oh man (laughs) okay well none of those people have a job to go back to and it like it sucks for all sides of the coin but there's Mm -hmm. yeah there's something to be said for those that were able to survive like I think they're That there was something that was done differently, not even just adapting to or like being more flexible, but just like, I feel like, I don't know, some at least some of the places it seemed like there was much more of like a community role that they had in their respective communities. Like they cared about their people and therefore the people cared enough to place the online orders or... You know, like I, w- mm-hmm. we were supporting local restaurants instead of going and ordering takeout from like, whatever, Boston pizza, not that we like, whatever, we don't, that's a bad example. But anyways, you know what I mean? We were supporting like the mom and pop restaurants as opposed to yeah. the chains.
0: As, instead of like Wendy's <laughs> or something.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
4: Yeah. And then, um, I think, I think, yeah, like resilience and adaptability. And I think. Yeah, like I've kind of said, like it. uh, We've learned to be able to turn the big boat that is Edelweiss quite a bit Mm. quicker than we ever really could have imagined. I think.
1: Well, then you need to. (laughs) Yeah, and yeah, then we (laughs) need
4: to as well. Yeah, and and um, yeah, and then I think I I think it also like we we closed on Mondays at the start of the pandemic um because we did the a team b team and we needed one team of people to be able to run the whole store used to be open six days a week and uh we've not reopened on the monday and i Mm. don't think that we ever will i i'm not sure that we ever will um because it's brought a our level of quality of life to our staff that Mm. we didn't yeah and and uh like our staff get two days off in a row always and that's a really cool thing. And I've talked with a lot of staff about that and it's important. Uh, it's And it's really changed, you know, having two days off together, you can just get more done and you actually mm-hmm. feel rested.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, and so, you know, from like a pure business perspective, it probably would be better to be open that day. But um, I think... Like realizing that like quality of life is really important as well, and um yeah it's it's uh we want we want you know where yeah we want Edelweiss to be a place that's great to work and mm-hmm. and that the people who work there are in a great uh you know state to be able to serve our customers more effectively too and and mm-hmm. so I think. I think that's something something that I've learned too that like quality of life taking time is
0: is really important too.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah. I love that. I mean, I'm just going to say like I'm a huge fan of having two days <laughs> off in a row. Like, <laughs> it, it gets a double thumbs up for me and I'm here. For it. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. Well, thanks you guys. This was really good. Um I'm it. Yeah. Super fun. For us. Hmm. Yeah. Thanks again so much Nathan and Nadine for having this chat, and uh, Andrew and I had a, had a blast recording it, so thank you again. Um, if you all enjoyed this episode as much as we did, um, Andrea and I are planning on doing a little upload-download summer, so no interviews during the summer, we're just going to be hanging out talking about vacation things or different things that we like to do in the area, different summer activities, all of that. So. Stay tuned for a little upload-download summer fun. Also, if you enjoy this podcast, share it with your friends, share it with your family. We would love to get this show into as many ears as possible. Um, Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Unexpected Experts podcast.